0: In hospitality, your number one guests are the people that work for you. So if right. you know that and you recognize that, everything else will come. If the people that work for you are happy, your guests, your customers, your clients, they will be happy.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Modern Hotelier presented by Stay Flexi, your all-in-one modern operating system for independent hotels. Each episode, we'll get to know an industry expert, and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you, the modern hotelier. Welcome to the Modern Hotelier, presented by Stay Flexi. I'm your host, David Malloy,
2: And I'm Steve Karen. Steve, who do we have on today? Yeah, David, today we have on Sarah Dandeshi. Uh, Sarah was an award-winning concierge, but now is a content creator, travel expert, and a hospitality author and consultant. Sarah has worked in some of the best hotels in the country, including the Peninsula, Four Seasons, Fairmont Hotels, and was a head concierge at London West Hollywood. Sarah has grown Ask a Concierge from a vlog to a multimedia platform with over 200,000 followers. She also has her own podcast called Say Yes to Travel and released her first book this past November called Hospitality From Within, Welcome to the Modern Hotel, here, Sarah. Thank you
0: guys so much for having me. This is great. What a great introduction, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> well, great. Thank we you. covered a lot, so appreciate it.
2: <laughs> great. So Sarah, we're
1: going to go through, um, we're going to ask you just some quick questions so that the audience gets to know you a little bit better. We're going to sure. talk about your career, and then we're going to just ask some of your thoughts on industry trends. So awesome. it's very, very simple, straightforward. So we're going to start out, what was your first job?
0: <laughs> oh no, I'm embarrassed to admit. It. Oh gosh. Okay. You guys are really digging deep here. So actually my very, very first job I worked at a Renaissance festival. I was, I know, no. Turkey legs. Yes. (laughs) Nobody was thinking this at all. I was like 15. I was technically considered like an apprentice because I I was living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time. And I'm pretty sure um, you couldn't like actually hire people my age. So they were like, you can be an apprentice. And so that was my first job. But then I ended up working in retail at, Yes, the clothing line, and and sold men's clothing right after that. But uh, but first, I was a fairy sprite at the Renaissance Festival.
1: Awesome. <laughs> so, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in hospitality?
0: Oh, good question. Uh, you know, I always had a real interest for, you know, like media and and politics. So, which I mean, obviously, I do cover you know quite a bit of media now. But I actually I went to Georgetown and I studied culture and politics. So probably something. Uh, maybe working at a, at like a news station or something like that.
1: So what's the weirdest thing you've seen in a hotel?
0: Oh gosh. Okay. A- Anthony, I talked, we, we
1: joked when we said that we could have a whole show about the weirdest things, but <laughs> there's one thing that stands <laughs> yeah. out that you think was weird.
0: Weird. You- okay. Well, I mean, I'll just, in a nutshell, human behavior is weird, but, uh, we definitely had, we've had individuals over the years that would go and like, they come and they'd like graffiti the walls. Like that was this weird. And it, it this is super strange and then there was somebody who um bless her but uh she would actually take her lipstick and then write on the walls with her lipstick so um that's pretty I odd
2: <laughs> who
1: did you admire when you were growing up
0: hmm. that's a good question you know i actually always really admired individuals that you know i mean being like a young Young teenage girl, and growing up in the states, you kind of look at celebrities. But anybody that would use their sort of celebrityism for for good, so whether people that would become like UN ambassadors, goodwill ambassadors, people like that. Um, so uh, Princess Diana actually was somebody that I always really admired.
1: You could take anyone, dead or alive, to lunch. Who would it be, and where would you take them?
0: Oh. Goodness gracious. <laughs> We're going um, right-headed. <laughs> we are totally going right. Okay, who would that be? Um I would say John Belushi. Yes. Right? That's a good one. Yeah. Talk about a brilliant individual, just fascinating. Yeah. But it's fascinating. So yeah, that's who it would be.
1: Where would you take him to lunch?
0: Oh, where? Uh, Chateau Marmont. <laughs> Wait, is that so bad to say? Oops.
1: Yeah. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've received so far?
0: Hmm, a lot of things, but I would say especially when you're dealing with people that maybe you get frustrated with and or and maybe it's somebody like a coworker situation or somebody that's like in your close circle and maybe whatever they're doing just frustrates you but you kind of feel like your hands are tied a little bit as, as far as how much you can say or do and somebody once said to me it's like give them enough rope and let them hang themselves. And I know that that sounds kind of horrible and graphic, but it's the idea of if you see somebody that's doing something that's just really not right, but you're kind of in a tough place that you can't totally call them out on it. It's like, you know what? Just give them enough rope. They're going to do themselves in and they'll get themselves caught and that'll solve its own problem on itself.
1: <laughs> Makes that's sense. Great. Yeah. Steve and I were talking earlier. Obviously, you have a lot on your plate. You've done a lot throughout your career. What's a secret talent you have that nobody knows that you have?
0: <laughs> well, I feel like there's so much that's not like a secret of my life. <laughs> I share so much. Uh, I actually used to do stand-up <laughs> comedy. So uh, not a lot of people know that. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if claiming being funny is a secret talent, but, uh, but I definitely have that experience. So people don't really know that.
2: Does your comedy resemble John Belushi's?
0: <laughs> a lot of physical comedy. Absolutely. <laughs> clearly.
1: <laughs> so what's, what's your favorite food?
0: Uh, mangoes. I love fruit. Hmm. So random. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're like Um, moving on.
1: (laughs) All right. We got, we got a couple more. What, what scares you?
0: Ooh, that is a good question. Um, not, not necessarily much scares me per se, but, um, there's a little bit of a fear of being misunderstood. I think that that's the whole thing is, is that I really want to make sure that I communicate whatever thoughts, opinions correctly so that I'm not misunderstood. That's, that's a big thing that's important to me.
1: Something you wish you were better at.
0: Ooh, well, that's a great question. What do I wish I was better at? Um, I, gosh, that's okay. All right. No, I'm sure. I'm sure this, I wish I was better at taking more downtime.
1: I can see that. Yeah, see that, <laughs> I, I was just—I was talking to someone about that. There's a lot of these companies that are shifting to four-day work weeks. Yeah. For me, I don't think I could turn off, but I'd rather have more personal time, like 100%. almost forced upon me, than like a four-day work week.
0: One hundred percent. Well, and then it's also setting boundaries with that. So maybe being better at setting boundaries. Yeah. When you work for yourself, you know.
1: If you could pick one superpower, what would it be?
0: To fly, <laughs> definitely. <laughs>
1: As <laughs> I think I'd like to be invisible, but I like, I would like to fly
0: too. <laughs> Ooh, That's cool. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's like when I consider the number of times like I'm on a plane or I'm obsessed with yep. drones, yep. I'm like, flying kind of makes sense.
2: Think how much money you would save with these air prices going up like this. I so. know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was great, Sarah. Thanks for that. Yeah, I want to you know, ask you a few questions, kind of a little bit more about you yourself. Yeah. Uh, you were born in Pennsylvania. Yes,
0: I was. I was. Born.
2: Where in Pennsylvania were you born? Because my colleague was also oh, a Pennsylvania.
0: Really? Guy. Okay, so I was born in Allentown, Pennsylvania. You might be familiar yeah. with it by the famous song by Billy Joel. Right. I will not sing it for you. Oh, that's probably a talent that I wish I was better at singing. Um, so yeah, I was born in Allentown, Pennsylvania, but I I grew up. All over. So I, I ended up yes, living in yes. Saudi Arabia as a kid until I was six years old. London, Atlanta, Georgia. Just traveled a lot because I'm I'm half Lebanese, which not a lot of people know or realize at first. Go figure. The blonde hair throws people for a loop. But yeah, so definitely got to be in a lo- exposed to a lot of different cultures, languages, and different countries from a very very young age, which is cool.
1: <laughs> how, how long were you in Allentown?
0: Yeah. Um. So I only really like lived in Allentown for probably about like six months. But my grandparents oh, okay. lived there, and uh, my my mom and all my aunts were raised there. And so I, even though I only lived there for a short period of time, I would always go back for holidays. So that's where I would spend like you know the winter holidays and summer and and all of that. So. Um,
1: Hess's department store. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah,
0: uh, yes. So my mom, fun fact, my mom was actually a model for um for Hess's in the 70s. And then she, she's an illustrator, and then she would actually draw the advertisements to really wow. date everything. Cool. <laughs>
2: small world.
0: Very small world.
2: That's so cool. So Sarah, you you lived in so many different places. Did you have a favorite growing up?
0: Um that's a good question. Uh, I would say probably Atlanta was my favorite. Not to say that okay. the others weren't. I mean, I have fond memories in in all places. Although I have to say, being a seven-year-old child living in London, England was definitely challenging. The kids were like, you talk funny. And I'm like... I'm American. And they're like, you're a Yank. And I'm like, right. I don't even know what a Yankee is. What? This is so weird. Uh, it was like this whole b- very strange thing. But then moving to Atlanta, what was nice is I kind of got to have that sort of classic American upbringing. You know, I, I had to mow the lawn. I had to do things, that, you know, that I I wasn't necessarily exposed to living in other, other places. So I think it was a good place to be there for those fundamental years, pretty much from eight to 18.
2: Yeah, absolutely. How did living in all those different places kind of shape you to who you are today. So
0: it's interesting. Now, looking back, it's completely made me who I am today. So to give you even an idea, but even at that age, like when I was in third grade moving to to Atlanta and going to, and I went to public school there too, the the teacher actually called me the diplomat. And I was the person that would always like bring everybody together. Because again, I grew up around so many different people, so many different cultures that I was already... it, it sounds so weird to say as an adult, but it's like, I was already looking at things on such a global, bigger perspective. Like my backyard wasn't just literally my backyard. I thought of things in, as the world, you know, I was going on transatlantic flights. Like when I was three weeks old, I flew by myself from JFK to Lisbon when I was seven years old. So (laughs) I know my mom was very brave and I, I I did, I got to wear like a big like badge and everything. I was so proud, but yeah,
2: do you have any pictures?
0: I, I don't know if I have any pictures from that particular. I'm sure somebody has some somewhere.
2: If you've come across any, you'll oh, have to send us don't some. worry.
0: That I will make sure <laughs> the entire interweb see those pictures. <laughs> Very go. proud seven-year-old here. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, it definitely, you know, I think with that and then how it ties to hospitality is you're already thinking on a bigger scale. So it's like you have an open mind. You know, you're used to people that speak different languages, have different cultures, have uh, different religious backgrounds. All of that is very um, much, you're you're very used to that. So going into hospitality just made sense because, you know, whether somebody would ask me for a private plane to go somewhere or to take the metro somewhere, you know, I, I was always used to speaking to people of very different backgrounds and it was just no judgment. And that is what it is.
2: And you ended up going to Georgetown, which, you know, kind of your viewpoint as a child, like I feel like reflects really well for the major you went into Georgetown and Washington, D.C. as a city. Um, So while you're at Mm Georgetown… You were part of Groove Theory.
0: Oh my, wait, how far did you dig deep on oh, me? Oh, trust me, I dug.
2: So Steve's good at that. So for those <laughs> that are not familiar with Groove Theory, what's Groove Theory?
0: Well, uh, I won't No, don't share those answers. Uh, groove Theory <laughs> was actually the very first hip hop dance group at Georgetown. And so I was one of the first, probably six founding members. So there were only six of us at the beginning, by far the tallest. Um, so like everybody would be in the front and then I'd be in the back like, Hey. Uh, so yeah, so I was part of the first hip hop dance group at Georgetown proudly.
2: And I have to ask, what was your favorite song to dance? To? Oh
0: my gosh! Uh, there's too many curse words. <laughs> it's
2: okay. It's okay. We're not. We'll, we're we'll not. We are we do not have to be PG for this uh, question. We'll bleep it. <laughs> I
0: can't even, even try to remember. Well, we had a very specific. Dance, I really liked the dance to the song, but it was like, oh my god, I'm gonna, I can't believe I'm like embarrassed. I'm even saying this, but it was, um, I'm not gonna say the word, we'll beep it out, but it was like, move, B, get out the way, get out the way, get out the way. Oh my god, I can't believe this is insane. David's like, did you you have a show?
1: So so that's fantastic. This is a good segue, but when you spent time at NYU, is that when you started getting your passion for creating content?
0: Uh, Yeah, actually that's a, that's a really good question. So that is something that, um, that I did that not a lot of people did. So uh, to kind of give you guys, some backstory and everyone that's listening. So I kind of always knew I had a passion for film and TV and media and and all that. But I grew up in a family of engineers and doctors. And even though my mother was artistic, even she had more of like a journalism background. So that was why I ended up choosing Georgetown is because it was like, get that solid academic education. But I just, there was always something in me that was like, There's something about film and TV that's so interesting. And I've been very lucky enough to travel to so many places. So instead of doing like a semester abroad, which so many of my, my, um, you know, schoolmates did at that particular time, NYU was doing a a thing called spring at Tisch. So you could go for a spring semester, go to Tisch and take different courses. So I ended up taking acting courses and producing courses. And then I also then really realized uh it, it made me appreciate my education that I was getting at Georgetown, but then it also gave me a little bit of a a taste of sort of that uh film TV and media as well, too. So I've definitely been dabbling in that for quite some time.
2: <laughs>
1: Nothing like New York, it's tough to compare anywhere.
0: To that too. Yorkers. And I have I mean, I turned twenty one in New York. That was definitely good times. <laughs>
2: Do we want to go into that story no, we as well? Don't. We <laughs> <good>? no,
0: <okay. laughs> no, no, no. Actually, one of those things, this is a classic. Like, you know, when you're like young and you're out, New York is expensive. And the total case oh, yeah. of like had brought everybody, and there were like all these actors from different part of uh, parts of the world. And then like everybody left at the end of the night. And we, we did bottle service at this club, and it was like two bottles. It was like $800. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, and I remember I had to use my mother's like the safety credit card that I had, and I'm like, oh my god, I feel so bad, and I I used it, and I sobered up real quickly when that happened. <laughs> but I have to say, when I told her, I was like, I'm so sorry. She was like, you know what? You only turn 21 once, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. My gosh, too. you're so cool. <laughs> I was mortified though. Fun times.
2: That's awesome. So now, kind of want to get into your career a little bit more. When you first moved mm-hmm. to LA. You got offered a job to be a concierge, right? And that's kind of how you fell into being a concierge. Can you tell tell us
0: a little bit about that story? Yeah, yeah. So I first started in hotels while I was going to school at Georgetown. So I started at the Four Seasons in Washington, D.C. My cousin was a hotelier, went to Lausanne, etc., and he was working at at the Four Seasons there, and I was working at a restaurant. He was like, "Why work at the restaurant when you can work at the Four Seasons?" And I'm like. I don't know. That sounds amazing. So that's how I got my taste of getting into hotels in Washington, D.C. So when I moved out to L.A., and, you know, a lot of it was to also maybe see what I could exp- explore as far as, like, film and TV related. I'm like, well, I didn't – a restaurant didn't make sense to me. I was like, hotels are so perfect. So I actually applied at the Lermitage in Beverly Hills, still there to this day. I'm actually now good friends with the general manager who – I had worked with subsequently after that, which it just shows you how it is a very small world. But I applied to be like a bartender, cocktail server. I mean, I was like 22 and the general manager was like, I think you'd make a good concierge. Now I had traveled enough that I had an idea of what the concierge did, but I I knew that I had to know the city. And I, I told him, I'm like, All right. Well, I just moved to LA like three weeks ago. Like I know how to get from my house to the gas station and miraculously I got here today, but I'm really good with maps. And he was like, you'll be fine. (laughs) You'll be fine. I I totally felt like I was like from dirty dancing when she comes in. She was like, I carried a watermelon. And I'm like, I'm good with maps. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Somehow I got that. And, um, and then, yeah, things kind of took off from there.
2: How did you learn the ins and outs of LA so quickly? Oh,
0: this is interesting Uh, because obviously traffic in LA is horrendous. It was then, it still is. So uh, I worked a lot of the night shifts as one does when you're new to hospitality. And after work, like at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, I would actually drive up and down the streets, specifically Beverly Hills to learn and see, okay, okay, this is where the Gucci store is. This is where Mastro's restaurant is. This is where Spago is, et cetera, driving up and down to kind of get the lay of the land. And then down like West third street. So it it was a very weird thing to do, but that was a good way to at least like visualize it and understand. And then I had some great, great coworkers take me under their wing and they would be like, okay, we're both not working tonight. Let's literally go kind of like lobby or not it's not even like lobby um jump because I mean you'd go into basically all the different restaurants so and we wouldn't even have like a drink in the restaurant sometimes we would just be going in and looking at it so you could see and feel the ambiance and then kind of put things together so I had some really really great mentors from the beginning and then also just the initiative on myself and um I was good with maps (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, kids don't, kids can't appreciate salespeople and kids can't appreciate the value of LinkedIn versus having to actually call up and get information and oh. the value of having a map versus when you're trying to drive and you have this map on the seat and you're looking and you're trying totally. to figure it out. So
0: totally anyways, I'm, it makes sure,
1: a I'm sure you've had a lot of crazy requests. Is there a request that you've had that you were like, wow, this one really is crazy? Like I I can't believe somebody just asked me.
0: Um, goodness. I mean, there have been there have been so many over the years. I mean, everything from somebody that helped me like or I had he asked me to help him like rent a computer for me to then find out he was making uh fraudulent credit cards in the room, which was lovely. Um, Luckily, I had <laughs> I wasn't considered complicit in that Uh, but i think one of of my favorite ones is just kind of like shows you like how you make the impossible possible and i had this guest that came up to me and he was an avid cyclist and he had this really expensive road bike and he was going somewhere and then coming back and he wasn't going to take the road bike with him so uh, when he came into la he actually left the bike in storage at some facility by lax and he was like So I have a problem. Can you help me find this bike? My only problem is I don't know what storage facility I left it at. Like, I don't know the name of it, but I left it with a guy named Jose.
2: This is Southern California. Narrowed it down a lot. This is (laughs)
0: Southern California. And I'm like, are you, how am I going to find this guy's bike? Like how many storage units are by LAX? This is insane. So I actually was able to find it pretty much like within three calls. I, I thought to ask him I'm like, "Well, how did you even first find out about this right. storage facility?" And he was like, "Oh, well, the baggage claim at American Airlines." So I'm like, "Okay. Well, let me call baggage at American Airlines." Mir- miraculously they answered their phone. I'm not sure how because if you try to call anybody at the airport, <laughs> nobody answers the phone. But they did. And they're like, "Oh, we recommend people to go to XYZ um storage." So I call XYZ storage and I'm like, "Hi, it, uh, is there Jose there?" And they're like, <laughs> "Uh, no. Uh what's and I'm and do you have a bike that you're maybe storing? They're like, "No." And then I asked like, a little bit more. I'm like, "Well, if you're full, do you send people elsewhere?" And they were like, "Yeah, we send people to XYZ, you know, storage." So, called that place and the guy named Jose picked up the phone and I was like, "Jose!" <laughs> Jose, buddy, do you happen to have a bike there? <laughs> And he that's was like, great. "I do, and that's how you found it. so one of those things where it, I call that like a needle in the haystack and it's just about mm-hmm. having the right attitude and and being smart in the questions that you ask and a bit of luck
2: <laughs> and, and that goes into my my follow-up, which is great. You're somebody who's you know so impactful for the guest experience. What to you like makes a guest experience stand out?
0: uh it really is about that thoughtfulness. And, and I mean, a lot of that, I even, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but a lot of that I even cover in my book because it's like really dissecting. It's like, how do you make these memorable, memorable experiences? And it's understanding basic human needs, you know, understanding that humans, they want to be heard. They want to be appreciated. And it's those, take it's being like genuinely and authentically engaged. Then you can come up with these thoughtful ideas. And by the way, when we're talking about thoughtful, it doesn't need to be something that's expensive or this It's just, maybe, you know, somebody really loves chocolate chip cookies. And every time you see them come in, like you make sure that they get their like fresh hot chocolate chip cookies with a note, like that doesn't cost much of anything, but they feel really appreciated. And and that's so simple. So it's, it's doing that. And then, and especially really, um, when you, when you have repeat guests, that's where it gets fun because that's where okay. you can kind of like do something nice for people that you that you know. But then even taking those one off occasions where maybe somebody is celebrating an anniversary and showing that you are just as excited about their anniversary as they are, and coming up with a cool idea, I think that that's where the special the special sauce happens. Is that that's when you form yeah. those relationships, and that's why people end up coming back to. You know, different hotels. I've said this for years is that you've got so many beautiful, wonderful hotels that are, the exterior is nice, the room is wonderful, but what is the thing, the key differentiator that makes one place uh, ideal for a certain client versus another? And it's how they're made to feel. And it's the people that are working there that really make or break a hotel experience.
1: I think when we're in this business, it's tougher to travel because we got like that Spidey. Set. We pick everything up when the person's yeah. not saying hi to us, not looking at us. Something's out of order, out of place. So, makes it difficult. So, hopefully, I get this right. But in 2015, uh, you received the La Claidor.
0: La d'Or. Uh, You're super d'Or.
1: Um, so what does that mean for a concierge? Tell us a little yeah, bit of what that means.
0: Definitely. So Les Clé d'Or uh, literally trans- translates to the gold keys in French, en français. So Les Clé d'Or. So um, if you've ever been to a high-end hotel and you've seen the concierge desk and they're wearing gold keys on their lapel, they are part of this prestigious international organization of professional concierge. There are, well, there were prior to the pandemic, only about 6,000 in the world. There might Probably a a bit less at this point, but um, they have very high requirements to be accepted into this organization. You have to be vetted. You have to uh, pass different exams, tests, like people have to know you. You have to have a certain number of years of experience within the organization. And yeah, so I actually joined in 2013. And because the concierge profession, as other professions within hospitality, you know, it's a little bit of an aging profession. And uh, the for the concierge community, they really wanted to inspire younger, a younger generation of concierge. So they decided to do best young concierge in the world sort of competition. So every country, since it's an international organization, every country would choose somebody to basically represent them. So you could almost look at it like the concierge Olympics, so to speak. Wow. And so I represented the U.S. that year. And that year, the their conference was in mendoza argentina and i had to go represent and was tested and had interviews all of that and then uh ended up being the first american to win as well too so that was that was pretty special but yeah definitely cool that's cool yeah Yeah, yeah, right who knew who knew the concierge (laughs) olympics existed i'm a gold medalist
2: yeah (laughs) how long did that process take
0: um it actually took Well, okay. So I, I got the original award in like, no, so basically chosen to represent the U S in November of the year before. So 2014. And then that particular conference was in April. Actually right now we're, we're actually, I got it on April 15th actually is when I won the award. So we're just a little bit past that right now. Um, Uh. but which is really kind of cool. But, uh, but yeah, so probably they started testing in January and then the final parts of the exam were actually at the conference where we had to participate in interviews. So about four months long. And it was right around the time the movie, The Grand Budapest Hotel came out. I don't know if you guys right. ever remember yeah. seeing that, oh, yeah. which is about concierge. And of course the producers happened to be staying at my hotel. Go figure, Like pretty freaking lucky awesome. to be like part of this. And again, They were looking for what are creative ways that you can keep a relatively an aging profession fresh and lively. And so I had already started my social media um, sort of growing my brand. And then I ended up doing, basically it was free promotion for Fox. I reached out to Fox and was like, Hey, can we do like a social media promotion and get all real concierge to support the movie as they go to the Academy Awards? And Fox was like, for free? I'm like, yeah. And so was able to like share the profession with everybody. And it, it, it was a pretty cool thing. So that stuff, which was not on the test, I think also um, worked in, in my favor, but definitely a very fun, fun experience.
2: Awesome. That's awesome, and and you know, kind of played in my next question. In in twenty twelve, you combined your your love for producing and media, mm-hmm. uh, along with travel, yeah. and you created a vlog called uh, Ask a Concierge. Ding, ding, ding.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Ding ding ding. So, how did that start? I, what was there a moment where that kind of pushed you over the edge, where you're like, I have to start vlogging, or I I'm excited to do this. Yeah.
0: So it, I consider that. A happy accident. And I, I I like to share this because so many of us can look back on our lives where it's like we kind of stumbled onto something and it was a like life-changing moment. And we have a couple of these in our lives, and this was definitely one of them. I, I was taking a writing course. I I just left working at the Peninsula and had just started working at the, the London Hotel. And why this was also important is that I had gone from working in a very um, rigid five-star, five-diamond property to a li- something that was a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more Hollywood, a little bit more relaxed relaxed. relaxed, four-star property. And because of that, I had more energy and they kind of gave me more reins to do whatever I wanted, where um, being in a more corporate environment, that would be harder to do. So coming out of that and being in this environment that I was at that type of hotel, I was taking a writing course and the instructor was like, everybody needs to do a vlog. This is a homework assignment. Like do a vlog on something you're an expert in one girl was like getting married. So she did one on that. And one girl was like a sports fanatic and was like obsessed like with Wisconsin. So she did that. And I'm like, well, I don't, I mean, I like to work out, but I'm like, I'm not like workout guru. That's not who I am. Whatever. I'm running out of time. I guess I'll just talk about the things I talk about on a daily basis at the hotel, like what to do in LA. This is going to be ridiculous. Nobody's going to want to watch this. Fine. Um, uh, I guess I'll call it Ask a Concierge. So literally pieced together, did it. And I remember very specifically when I showed the first video, which by the way, these videos also still exist out there. Um, I really? purposely left them up I have a big scarf on. I look like a flight attendant. It's lovely. Um, <laughs> but I, I purposely left them up so that people can see like the arc of the journey. But I put it together. I showed it to them in class and then I shared it like on social And pretty early on, people were were very positively responding. And I thought nobody would want to watch it because I was like, it's only going to be for travelers. Like it's such a specific group of people. And then I realized people that live in L.A. wanted it because they're like, hey, I want to know what to do for date night or what cool new restaurants are in town. Or I have family coming in town and I want ideas of what to do with them. And I realized, oh, my gosh, my audience is far larger than I thought maybe there's something to this. So I was on Twitter doing all of that. So it, it kind of was, um, again, this happy accident that just kind of snowballed into, into so much more. And and it just, it came naturally. And it, it, I think so many times when we have those moments in our life that you look back and you're like, oh, that's why I had all of these different experiences. They led me to that point, to that moment. And that was definitely one of those. And now I Ask a concierge is its its own thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, two hundred thousand yeah, followers. Crazy. What is that? How has that been? Just watching it grow from a, a school project of a vlog <laughs> yeah. to now being like a multi brand platform with a ton of different content. Yeah,
0: it's, it's been interesting. You know, it's been great because you know also like over that amount of time, it's like you also kind of have to like recreate yourself and reinvent yourself. Not, um, but still stay authentic to the brand. It's like okay. You know, the way that people consume content, you are very much on the forefront of like, what are consumers interested in? And how do they want to consume that content? And am I providing that? So it's very much um, what I really loved about it. And it kind of goes back to this notion of taking chances like it's social media, like take a chance, put to, people will be like, oh, I don't yeah. know where to begin. What if it's a flop? It's like, if it's a flop, 24 hours go, goes by and you can do something else. It doesn't matter. So long as you don't like insult anybody or say anything like horrific, that's really going to kill your career. Fine. Try something creative. If it, if it works, it works. And that's where I found, you know, for a while there, I would kind of joke around and do these dance videos because I was like, I did it as a joke. I did it. I literally did it as a joke. Uh And then I shared it. And I remember being so nervous, hitting posts and being like, oh my gosh, people are going to so judge me. And people loved it because all of a sudden they got to see a different side, you know, from maybe like the professional polished side of things. So, um, that just goes to show you like, take chances, show a little bit more of your, your side within reason, you know, um, because people really respond well to that.
2: Are you sure you're doing it as a joke and not just showing off your dance moves from group theory?
0: I mean, obviously (laughs) if I look at the, the dance moves are not very, um, uh, precise or very difficult. (laughs) I think, you know what it is? It's that dancing. And I actually, one of my favorite videos, I was in Prague with other concierge friends and they had me dance in front of this John Lennon wall that has this cool graffiti, beautiful. And they're like, go, go. You're the girl that dances in front of walls. And I'm like, this is embarrassing. There's like a hundred people here. (laughs) So I go and I'm like, okay, whatever. I just, just zone everybody out, do what you got to do and just dance. So I go and I'm dancing. And then all of a sudden I see like people, they're turning their phones on me and I'm like, oh my gosh, everybody's videoing me. This is insane. And then out of the corner of my eye, a group of tourists from Italy, they're like, hi, we're from Italy. Can we dance with you? And I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) yes, dance with me. And we had this amazing moment that, you know, we were in Prague. I'm dancing with Italians. (laughs) We're listening to Justin Timberlake. And it's this whole weird cross, cross section of like culture. And it just also shows you that, you know, it's kind of this like connecting on such a basic human level that it didn't really matter. And that was such a special thing. But the dancing really kind of comes from this, this notion of like, who cares? Who cares? Like there's no good or bad dancing. You just dance, yeah. you know? And so um, it was a lot of fun. I think people really tapped into that.
1: <laughs>
2: I love that. That's,
1: That's awesome. Fun. So your, your new book is Hospitality From Within, our mutual friend, uh, helped you a little bit with that, Anthony Melchiori. Yeah. Tell us about that experience and and just the book in general and what people should expect. Uh, yeah. and, and they should pick it up. I just, as I told you, I ordered mine
0: today. I'm excited to make sure that you get yours. So, uh, so yeah, Anthony Melchiori wrote the foreword, but I ended up putting this together, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, as many of us were taking time to sort of reevaluate. I knew that I was like, well, this is the one time that I will be sitting still right. for a significant amount of time. And I know, always knew I wanted to write a book, but it was figuring out what, you know, I didn't want to be like a concierge tell-all. I'm, I don't even remember half the crazy things that that happened because you just become numb to it. But I wanted it to be something that it could be of use to individuals. And like really what, when it come, when I think of all of my years of being a hotel concierge, the lessons that I learned, and then to maybe, you know, drill it down to some different nuggets to share with others. And the timing ended up being you know, really kind of wonderful in that we have been in this time with our, with the profession or just the industry as a whole, where people are a bit burnt out. People are questioning like their purpose, their why. And, and I hope that people kind of get a little bit re-inspired from this book and those that might be new to the industry, it can maybe be a source of some guidance as well too. So, you know, the, the book is, is really kind of these Uh, does a deep dive into these pillars of hospitality, different ways that you can effectively communicate how to uh, navigate conflict, conflict resolution, all of these things that, especially for us uh, that have been in in hospitality for so long, we might know, but it's, you know, pinpointing it and like maybe like seeing it written down is, is something very different and really kind of trying to tackle the, as I mentioned earlier, what is that special sauce that that people love it because we're talking about how you make people feel really. So that's a little bit an intangible thing, but you're trying to spell it out in a way that you can, you know, hopefully inspire those that get it and, or, you know, teach people that have gotten new into the industry. And then at the end, what I really love is I also share different concierge stories from Lake Lador colleagues around the world, which um, I really wanted to be able to give a voice to others in the profession, but uh, kind of as a byproduct, I think it really solidifies that it shows that hospitality really is universal at the end of the day. So um it was a really exciting project project to work on. A labor of love. Um did everything on it. Um but I wouldn't change it for the world. And and Anthony so graciously read it. He read it so quickly. He sent me a, a video where he's like practically crying. He's like, "I'm going to write the foreword <laughs> now." And if you know Anthony, like to get him to sit yeah. down and like write something, I was like, "Oh gosh, this is never going to happen." And he did. Yeah. And he wrote it, and it was so touching. So, um, so yeah. So it's been a very exciting thing, and the feedback's been really wonderful as well, too. So appreciate it. No, that's
1: great. So, I mean, so one thing. Hi, David. No, I was just saying it's great. I mean, it's. Great to meet you, having heard of you through Anthony and knowing, you know, he talked to me a lot about the book and what you guys are doing. And yeah. so it's, it's exciting to hear more about you. And as you said, I think in this industry, you know, the one great thing is once you're in it, you have stories for life
2: to talk to people about. And that's what's just great about what we do, I think.
0: Totally. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. One thing Anthony said, uh, you know, on your website, I believe it is, it's how passionate and how you talk about hospitality. Yeah. And it, it's coming across here, obviously. <laughs> what what is that? What about hospitality has kept you engaged and like writing books and constantly producing content? Like what what excites you about hospitality so much? I, I
0: think guess. what it is, it's the ability to inspire others to to. This, is, this will sound che- cheesy, but I mean, it, this is really what it is. It's really inspiring others to kind of like find joy in those moments, be it you are a hospitality worker. And I get it. It can be hard. Like people can be not nice. People can be rude. You know, you can just be tired. You're on your feet for eight plus hours, whatever it is. It can be feel thankless. But then you have those moments where you did something and it just made somebody's day or you made, as you were even saying, you're talking about these stories. You did something that you helped create a moment, a memory, a story that these people will now share at dinner dinner parties for the rest of their lives. Like that, you know, I mean, that's not something that you can put a price on. That's not, but it's like to know that you're able to kind of like sprinkle these really special moments into people's lives is so incredible. And I I get it. It's I, I have had many days where I was burnt out. And I'm like, I just need to get caffeine just to get through the day. But you know, to to kind of stop and pause and be like, wow. We have that power to like turn somebody's day around and you take that, that joy and sort of that, um, uh, like authority that you, that you can do that is really special. And then how that kind of coincides also with, with guests. I, I find that for myself and putting myself in their shoes and it's like, okay, what, how do I feel when I go check into a hotel and somebody is a little bit rude? I mean, wow. I just finally get to Hawaii and like the person at the front desk is rude blame like I don't want to be that yeah. person so it's like reminding yourself that like what works for you and then how you can kind of be that for for other people
1: and I think a little bit you're just born with it too I mean I think there's just certain people that are just you know you look at a family I've got three younger brothers you know you kind of see like the the people who entertain have the thanksgiving's like they really want to take care of people mm-hmm. and as I was saying to you know on our very first uh, podcast with Anthony I was saying people a lot of times forget that the word Hospital is in hospitality. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to take care of people, you really shouldn't be in this business. And if you're not worried about, to your point, making sure that somebody does have that story to tell at dinner yeah. for the rest of their life, then you just shouldn't be in it. But I think a lot of us are just just born with it, like that's just who we are.
0: And I think a lot of us, I mean, in general, as humans, like we like to connect with other humans. So certainly I think a lot of us, it is innate to so many of us, but yes, there are definitely people that are like, whether they're more introvert or whatever the case is, maybe it's not really like how they operate. But I think a lot of us, I mean, if you just boil it down, it's like you feel good when somebody does something for you. So if you can tap into that and be like, wow, I can be that person for somebody else. Why not?
2: Absolutely. So, so now this is kind of our last yeah. part. Kind of industry thoughts, your opinion on on a few things. Uh, what what's some advice you would give out to somebody who's just getting started in hospitality?
0: Well, I mean, I, I think the main thing is is like to try and experience as much of the industry as you can because there are so many different components, whether you are working front of the house, whether you are working in F&B, whether you're working whatever, like try and experience different parts of it because you'll find out what makes sense to you. And then, and never burn bridges. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's the other thing is, is that we all know this industry is small. And next thing you know, somebody that you worked with when you were 22, you're now 27 and they're like running a hotel, this, they might be the person in charge of hiring you. It's not to say to jump around, but like, within reason try and experience so many things and also just really at the end of the day is to have the mindset that no task is too small and i think that that's really important because if you look at parts of the hospitality industry some of it are not is not glamorous it's not glamorous to necessarily clean toilets but somebody has to do it and it's okay and there's nothing wrong with that you know it's not glamorous to do whatever different things but if if you just have that can do attitude it definitely comes back to you tenfold.
2: Absolutely. And I got to ask you, since you're like top 1% of concierges ever, uh, what makes a great concierge?
0: <laughs> oh, um, okay. The great. So I love saying this about concierge. Uh, it's, again, it comes down to having the right attitude. And it's not about knowing the answer right away, but it's knowing how to find out, find the answer. And that's really important because people will come up to me all the time uh, and be like, you know, they'd asked me something and I was like, well, <laughs> never heard that one before. And I really hadn't heard that before. And, but I was like, you know, I'm not sure, but let me look into that for you. And that was actually very much the key to how I even got started in the industry. I mean, people were coming up to me and like asking me to rent certain types of cars. And I was like, I don't even know if that's an SUV or a sedan. Like I didn't, I didn't know I was a kid. I was practically a kid. So again, it really just comes down to having that right attitude of, you know, you may not know the answer, but you know how to find the answer. And that is everything.
1: What do you think hotels should be doing differently?
0: Ooh, okay. That's hard. It's broad. But I mean, in general, I, th- I think, and, and not all of them, you know, some do a good job of this, but in general, a lot of hotels right now, especially coming out of the pandemic, really need to be focusing on strengthening their relationship with their own employees again some properties do this really well but making them feel you know appreciated making them feel like they want to be there and grow with the company giving them opportunities making them feel like they have ownership over whatever their little domain is Um, really fostering who they have as employees already because as we see, you know, there really is this big, this hiring crisis. It's it's there's a shift that's happening, and it's not going to go away tomorrow. So what we really need to do is really make those that are currently employed with us feel really, really good about what they're doing, and that they're contributing, and they're appreciated, and they'll stick around. They'll tell their friends, their family members. They'll get them to start working for for the company. But really focusing on within, because I really am a firm believer that in hospitality, your number one guests are the people that work for you. So if you know that and you recognize that, everything else will come. If the people that work for you are happy, your guests, your customers, your clients, they will be happy.
1: Kind of piggybacking that with everything that's on LinkedIn right now, there's this major, major focus around obviously COVID and the labor shortages. What what are we not talking about that we should be talking about Ooh. outside of those two things? Cause it just seems like there's so much focus on those two areas that there's stuff that we've got to be overlooking that are, that's important.
0: It's touched on a bit and different companies are working on it, but like the, the wage issue, like the right. wage issue right now is, and that is kind of part of the hiring as we're seeing, that is definitely part of the hiring crisis, but right. I think that the industry as a whole needs to reexamine basically its its profit margins and how it does business and understanding that you know you may have to pay your employees a bit more but and again that also goes across the the board and even goes into other industries as well i mean we are seeing this right now there's inflation is happening in the united states and You know, I, I, in general, hospitality workers have always been probably some of the lowest paid workers in general across the board. So how are we going to tackle that moving forward? It's already challenging now, but you know, the, the future is looking just as challenging, if not more so. So we need to be looking at things very proactively as opposed to reactively and being like six months into it and then being like, oh no, what do we do? Kind of like how... And really taking that learning from from COVID is that what happened is a lot of these businesses let go of their employees. And so what did they have to do? People had to find jobs elsewhere. So because they didn't necessarily try and take care of them on the front end, they lost a lot of really good talent. So I mean, that kind of ties into that, but they think that's really a big issue. And then also exploring different ways of gratifying those individuals that work there, whether it's like digital tipping sure. solutions or that type of stuff. So there th- there's definitely technology out there that helps.
1: And for me, it was just, I thought it was kind of amazing going through COVID that hotel owner owners were surprised at the effect that people not coming back when they were always underpaid, especially in, when you looked at the housekeepers. Sure. They had the toughest jobs, were paid the least, and then they had to figure it out because yeah. they lost their jobs during COVID. And then everybody's surprised they're not coming back, and it's like, well, why would they? They can go do something else and make more money. That's not as tough. Not everybody can do that, but not everybody. Yeah. You know, I just think it's 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 interesting.
0: Well, and and I mean, again, which coming back to it is is that you know you even have some owners that are like, well, I'm already paying them five dollars more an hour, seven dollars more an hour. Is that that's still not good enough? Like, what's wrong with people? And it's like, no, that's just how bad it was before. You know yeah. how low it was compared to other places, and then. And and I understand is that like, you have to have certain profit margins, like, you know, wages need to be a certain amount, rooms need to be, I I get it. But it's also, you know, it's, it's making sure that, that again, that they can live off of it and maybe just work that one job and maybe not two.
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's kind of the humanity, humanity side of it, right? Like let's take care of our people. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So there were a lot of trends that came out, you know, through COVID have you seen one that came out, or you know that you've seen come out over the past year or so that's here to stay?
0: Ooh, we're talking about like hospitality trends.
2: Sure, tre- yeah, yeah, hotel I trends think. like um, contactless check-in first.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, so I th- what's really exciting, um, and that that's a that was a that was definitely a good reminder is for the longest time, hospitality was always kind of like behind the eight ball when it came to implementing technological procedures into, into their offerings. And understandably so, because, you know, what, what is hospitality? It's how you make people feel. And there's that human element. So it's like, okay, how do you add technology without taking away the human side of things, et cetera. So that's definitely something that's always been a cross section that it's been a point of contention for quite some time. But I think that we were really kind of able to fast forward through that. And especially different companies could see where they were maybe worried, like, Oh, if we offer mobile check-in, like that's not something that everybody can do. But because everybody was had to use QR codes, they had to do right. more things on their phone, people were already in that mindset. And so it was very yeah. easy for yeah. them to adopt that now in their travel experiences. So absolutely that use of technology, so, so much more. I think QR codes also definitely still here to stay. And again, like you're seeing so many different companies that are doing different things. There's another element. People will carry cash less, so this is a really yeah. interesting thing. So I think we are, and there's there's a couple companies doing it. One company that is phenomenal, they're called Etip, for example, and they do cashless tipping. And what's great about this is we all know, like we just don't have cash on ourselves, and we're going out and we want to tip people. This is part of the American culture and the and how we operate. And so now, as we're seeing this shift of people just aren't carrying cash on them anymore. How can we go ahead and give thanks and share that gratuity to those individuals that we would normally, if we had cash on us, whether it's the housekeepers, Bellman, et cetera. So again, adding this technology aspect, but also, you know, kind of weaving it into the, the, the tipping and the gratuity side of things, which then also helps with wages and people feel that they can earn more uh, in that sort of, in that sort of space.
1: And it seems like with hotel. I, mean, I mean, I'm mean, i a little biased because I've been selling into, ho- I used to run hotels, but now I've been selling into hotels for many, many years. But they're just slow to adopt new technology. Cool. And they have this preconceived notion that technology is going to hurt the guest experience. And it's funny because hotels will say, oh, we don't want to offer mobile check in our mobile key because guests don't want to use it. But they booked the Uber on their phone. They got their boarding pass on their phone mm-hmm. for the airline. And then now they're at the hotel and it's like, why wouldn't they want to continue that same behavior? So it's, it's very interesting, but very good point.
0: Yeah. Well, and I say, when, and when it comes down to any trend, especially if anybody's questioning it, I always say, what do you do? You know, and when right. you stop and you examine like what you're doing and you're like, well, this is more convenient for me. So if you find use out of it and it doesn't matter what, and, and look at people in your family, because then you can, you have people from yeah. different generations and you're like, okay, well, that's interesting. They're doing that. And then how can we implement that into what our offerings are? But yeah, there's always been that sort of like, okay, we're going to like dra- drag yeah, technology <laughs> along, but like we're here, yeah. we're living in it right now. So yeah.
1: it isn't. Well, account. the funniest, just a quick funny thing is that when I, my first company was a basically a booking engine for independent hotels. Mm-hmm. And Anthony said to me, who's going to put their credit card online? No way. <laughs> yeah, well, but this was 2000, but, you know, so, that- but it was just... Yeah, but it was very funny. He's, he's mentioned it. I, so I can say it because he's actually said it on his podcast, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's funny because people have this, you know, they just assume certain things that that aren't true.
0: Well, to, and I mean, that's a, that's a really great example. I mean, obviously we've even heard like the people that passed on investing into something like Airbnb, for example, and how that's changed right. the, the travels. People were like, who would stay in somebody else's house? It's like, now that's yeah. such a big part of the industry. And we've yeah. been as, as hoteliers and traditional hospitality individuals, we've also learned so much from them as well too. So it's been interesting to see
2: and and kind of on this path we're moving into another transition here over the next couple of years yeah. with web3 and the metaverse and all that fun stuff how do you think that's going to affect hospitality
0: so it's interesting i mean i i think it's i think there's still a lot to be explored in regards to that and and i say this being something i'm very much into and i have examined and and involved in as well, I, I think it's actually going to be a really exciting place for hospitality to explore because again, you're coming back to what hospitality is and that is how you make people feel. And it isn't necessarily the four walls around you. So that actually lends itself quite nicely to the metaverse because it's they may not be tangible, four walls per se, but it is these experiences and whether they're, you know, uh, digital, virtual, however you want to describe it experiences, but you're going to be able to take people on this emotional journey, so to speak, which is what hospitality is. So I'm curious to see like how far it goes, how deep it goes, but it's something that we, I think that all of us, you know, should be, should be watching if not participating in.
1: Absolutely. So we're pretty much at the end. So is there a, a, any questions or a question that we should have asked you that we missed?
0: Ooh, um <laughs> my gosh. I mean, we talked about so many things. And I have to say, I'm so yeah. impressed. You guys definitely did a deep dive. And <laughs> Found out some things that I even I was. I mean, I had some moments there. Um, but I mean, no, I know we covered a lot. The book is out if people are interested. You can get it on Amazon if you still want a signed copy. I'm mailing them out that's at hospitalityfromwithin.com. But aside from that, you know, I say, you know, always for those that are listening, always reach out and you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, all of that good stuff. So I'm there answering in real time on the other side. <laughs>
1: Great. Thank you so much. So that's it for The Modern Hotelier presented by Stay Flexi. We thank you for listening. We thank you for your time, Sarah and
2: Steve, and uh, we'll see you all very soon. You made it to the end of The Modern Hotelier. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media and presented by Stay Flexi. Stay Flexi is your modern operating system for independent hotels. If you're interested in learning more about StayFlexy, you can go to stayflexy.com. Or if you'd rather talk to me instead, feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn or email me at steve.karen at Thanks and have a great day.